I went on a date with this guy. I thought it was great. He said he was going to call, but he never called. And immediately the light bulb goes off and is like, that's me, right? I'm the jackass. And I'm in very, very charismatic kind of way, not skipping a beat. I'm like, oh, what a jackass. Let me, let me, let me make up, let me make up for this guy and buy you a drink. And I think God always gives you second chances and second opportunities. You just have to be ready. You just have to open your eyes to see him. They're always there. When you think about your professional path, your body and your mind, do you feel like they're all in alignment? Like, are you just at the top of your game? And if you're being honest, ah, in many cases, we are looking for the silver bullet. This country especially runs on the quick fix. Drop that weight in just six weeks. Finally get that lightning bolt of an idea that will catapult you to fame and fortune. Make a ton of money. Be revered for your brilliance. But really, it all begins with one thing, and that is mindset. And mindset isn't just a phrase. It's a lifestyle that needs to be actively tended to every day. And my guest today is Chad Santagrin. Chad is an executive coach, an expert in sales growth, an international keynote speaker and author, a podcast host, and a newly minted marathon runner, and really one of the most interesting guys I've met. He's just, uh, he's just one of my favorite people. Endlessly interesting and endlessly interested. Chad recently had me on his podcast, Cannonball Moments, and a cannonball mindset, sorry. And I was struck by the way he looked at life. He has an incredible way of distilling ideas down to a simple, memorable phrase that not only is true to its core, but it will change you. I want you to give me a shout on the socials, will you? Also subscribe to my newsletter at allisonhair.com. And one of my favorite parts of having a podcast is to hear from you. So let's get into my chat with Chad Santagrin. I was once in, I was in, uh, so my, my last name, Santagrin, is French-Canadian. And I was at a training in uh, Quebec, somewhere, and I said, we were going around the room, and I said, I introduced myself, I said, my name is Chad Santagrin. And this lady next to me goes, she goes, that is not your last name. And I said, no, it's my, and I said, you are saying it all, all wrong. She was French-Canadian, right? <laughs> and so she said it. And it sounded so much nicer. I begged her and tried to hire her to record it for my voicemail. That's nice. what it called, but she wasn't going for it. I'm so excited to welcome you onto the Culture Changers podcast. Wow. Um, I'd love to hear more about Cannonball Everything, Cannonball Mindset, <laughs> Cannonball Podcast, Cannonball <laughs> Moments, Cannonball whatever. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks. Everything you just said. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, remember I told you, I just told you two minutes ago that uh, I tried to get the lady to record my name. I'm just going to take that introduction. I'm going to make that my voicemail. So people are going to hear. I'll I'll give you my rate card. That's awesome. So yeah, I appreciate it. Um, Listen, I, I am, uh, yeah, I own Cannonball Moments. I'm the host of the Cannonball Mindset Podcast. And for me, it is, um, you know, Cannonball Moments is a, is a corporate uh, coaching company. Like we do corporate culture, corporate co- coaching of CEOs, salespeople, uh, leaders. We do customer service training. The difference is most people train on tactical behaviors. For me, that is, 
you, you can't train somebody to be tactical unless you train them to have a congruent mindset. So we spend just as much time talking about mindset in everything. That's why we came up with the Cannonball Mindset Podcast is because your mindset, as cliche as it is, and it's cliche because it's true, that your your mind really does determine where you're going to go in life and, and the success you're going to have or whatever that success looks like. It's all predicated from this, from your, from your mindset. And I'm living proof of that for sure. So tell me, so there's something I think about a lot when I think of you and in a lot of your, um, when you talk about your story and one of them is that you did, I don't know if you didn't go to college or never graduated from college. And I, um, I relate to that in a way that I, um, took my SAT three times and I got dumber. I don't know how, but I, I didn't get into any of the schools I wanted to. And I feel like I have lived, and I'm in my 40s, uh, my entire life trying to prove to people that I'm not dumb mm. and trying to prove that I'm smart. And I wonder if I feel like because it's such a big part of your story, do you live with a chip on your shoulder? And is that wh- what has kind of propelled you? What does that drive look like for you? Uh, I don't know if it, no, I, I, I would think I certainly can understand that, but Listen, I didn't go to college. I graduated high school with a 1.8 grade point average. I barely graduated. And it wasn't because I wasn't smart. It wasn't because I, you know, I grew up, I grew up um, with a single mother. Amazing, like the most amazing woman you could ever possibly dream of. And she was, in, she is incredibly brilliant. And, you know, but she, she got a full ride. She was the first ever recipient of the Martin Luther King Jr. Scholarship Award in New York City, right? White woman, New York City, 1970, 1960-something. And, and she gets this full ride to college, 1968, 1969. She gets a full ride to college. She meets my father her first semester. Drops out of school the third, second semester, has my brother and my sister and me all before she's 21, and then gets divorced by the time she's 22. And she never complained. She, you know, we moved to Maryland from New York. I have a huge family. She's one of 15 kids. We, there was, there was 13 of us living in my grandparents' three bedroom house, but she put herself through school. She, like raised us with love and care. She wasn't there. She was always working, um, but raised us to be great kids. I believe have a strong faith and then became a nurse practitioner, been a practitioner at a hospital for 35 years. And never once to this day, have I ever heard her utter a negative word, not one about my father, about my father. Like I never saw my father again. Um, And, but I, but I created at a very early age, a totally different perspective of my life. So I was the victim very early in my life. And that victimhood, I was broken. I was broken from a very early age in my own mind, mind you. I was you mean victim as in like not having your dad there, yeah, as yeah, your mom, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. It, I was, like, it got me, it got me, it got me sympathy, which I think mm-hmm. is the worst thing we can give people is sympathy. And I'll t- I can tell you about that, but I got plenty of sympathy for being fatherless and not having any money. And that became my calling card. So anytime things got hard in life, I just said, well, I don't have a father. I don't have, and it was always something else. It was always, it was always another reason why it's not me. And that became my calling card. And before you know it, and I was a happy kid on the outside. I was popular. I was, I was funny, but I hung around all smart kids who 
I was not smart. I was not, I didn't apply. I was, again, I was 1.8 grade point average. And then I was, so, so I, it didn't matter to me because I wasn't, I was broken. So I wasn't able to, um, I wasn't able to, like, I didn't, I never read a book. I never did homework. I never did any of that. And I graduate high school, barely. And all my friends, they go off to college. And I'm sti- I'm like just there by myself. And I end up moving to the city with the, with one of my best friends who was extremely successful. And, but I, it didn't rub off on me. And <laughs> like, like I, just, I just wanted to get drunk and hang out because I was going nowhere in life. So why apply myself? Because there's nothing there. It's almost like, you know how there's governors on cars, right? So like, like my kids are getting, my 16 year old daughters are getting a license now. I wish I could put a governor on the car so the car can't go above a certain speed. Right. For my whole life, people were saying, well, apply yourself. Chad, if you just applied yourself, if you just applied yourself. The problem is, in my mind, I had a governor. And it didn't matter. As hard as I wanted to push, the, the governor of I was not enough. I wasn't smart enough. I was broken. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. I wasn't this. I'm not enough. Was stopping me from achieving potential. And it wasn't until I removed the governor. And that governor was the day I met my wife. My who Now is my wife, right? She was the... She was the ignition that said oh shit i can take this governor off and once i took the governor off by watching her and really opened my eyes to possibility then it wasn't i wasn't there was no chip on my shoulder i felt unleashed like man i can push the i can push this accelerator all the way down to the ground and i keep excelling so i keep the more books i read the better things got the the smarter i got the smarter i felt the the more uh um um People I meet, met and, and learned from that, like all of a sudden, I felt unchained, and so it wasn't. It's not. I don't go through with a chip on my shoulder. I'm so grateful. Like a chip would say that I don't have gratitude. My life is filled with nothing, and, and is powered by gratitude. It is. But now I feel like if I can really, if I'm really am limitless, and that's been my new story, my new belief, then it's up to me. To, to go and see what that actually means. Like, don't be content with something. Like, like what else What else, What else? can I do? Not what else can I achieve, like, in the sense of, can I get a bigger house or more cars or more material things? It's like, how much more can I contribute? How many more lives can I help change? How many people, mm. how many 12-year-old kids right now are broken in their mind? I was never broken. The stories I told myself told me I was broken, but I wasn't broken. I'm saying no product of God. I'll leave my faith. That's no product of God is broken. Right. But they've created a story about, about what their life should be. And now I feel unleashed. So now it's exact opposite. I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I am powered by gratitude that says I was created limitless and it is 100% up to me to, to not squander a day, not squander an opportunity, not squander a moment to get better. Does that make sense? I know that's a really a, no, long no. answer. I what think, you said, I think what I'm more interested to hear about is you meet your wife mm-hmm. and you're early on. I'm curious to know what that what that shift was. <laughs> and I know that you've got an acronym for a shift that you also run, but what what shifted yeah. in you? Because so many people are stuck in their own story, whether it's justified or not. And even if it is you know, if it's the imposter syndrome or deserve level or mm-hmm. being in a position where I don't know if this is my lot in life, but I want more. Yeah. So what yeah. did that shift look like for you? I can tell you exactly. I can tell actually, not only can I tell you exactly, 
So I believe shift stands for see how I find truth. See how I find truth, right? So these big moments and, and you find truth in alibi. I was finding for, for 24 years of my life, I found, I found my truth in alibis, excuses, victimhood. That was what, then I meet my wife and I have a shift moment with her on our second, on our third time we met second date. And and then my life forever changes. So let me give you, let me tell you the shift moment. I'll try to make it brief. But so I'm I'm at a bar like I normally am on a Friday night, and this girl walks in with her friends, and my buddy starts flirting with her, hitting on her, giving her his you know GQ vibes, and he <laughs> he is striking out like left and right. It was it was obviously before cell phones, but I, absolutely, if I had a cell phone with the camera back then. I would have video recorded it and it would have went viral. It was so like for hours he's hitting on her. She's saying no, he's hitting on her saying, no. I'm just as a good wingman sitting there laughing at him. Right. Cause it's, it's great comedy. And towards the end of the night, I said, Hey, he's obviously not getting your number. Can I get your number? Right. And by the grace of God, she said, yes. So bold. Right. She said, yes. Right. And so he was like, he was like, I can't believe you just you, did that. You I'm, like, the bro code. Yeah. I'm like, that's <laughs> right. I like was a horrible wingman. And he said, you aren't getting where she's hot. And you know, I went after it. Right. So she was home for college for the summer. Right. It was, I can tell you, it was June 21st of 1999. This happened. June, I remember the day. And so, so we go out that Friday, the next Friday night, and we go to a, a restaurant here in Maryland. And we get there, the date's at 8 o'clock, dinner's at 8 o'clock. By 8.10, I realized this is the most disastrous date in the history of the world. It was horrible. It was, I could not wait to get out of this date because we had zero in common. She, it was like, that. we couldn't even, there was nothing to talk about. And so the date was over by like 8.45, 9 o'clock. What? Yeah, horrible. Just horrible. And I'm the whole time I'm thinking, man, I gave up a Friday night with my buddies down in Baltimore to drink and meet other women uh, for this. And so I walked into her car. I said, hey, I'll give you a call. And I rushed as fast as I could back down to Baltimore. And then I never called her. Like, I just never called her again. I was like, forgot all about it. I went to Baltimore. I probably got drunk that night. And I and I never thought a second, gave it a second thought. Well, fast forward, I have a phenomenal summer. A phenomenal summer, by the way, is, now I, I'd always worked. I'd managed hotels and I was really successful. I shouldn't say successful. I was very good at work. I, I was horrible at saving money. I think I had a 500 credit score. I had no money in the bank, but I had good career. Like, I was good at work. And so I have a great summer by you know, that terms of drinking, partying and spending money that I don't have. You had a fun summer. Yeah. Right. And so at the end of August, August 22nd of that year, I'm back at the same bar and it's on a Saturday night and I'm with a different friend of mine. Bar is packed and we're at the back of the bar and I see this girl walk in the front door. Now, I don't remember where I know her from, but I know I know her. And so she's walking towards me. I say to my buddy, Steve, hey, do you know her? He's like, I don't, I've never seen her before. He wasn't there the first night. And she walks right up to me. And I'm like, hey, how are you? I have no clue. I can't remember her name. Don't know where I know her from, but I know I know her. So I'm just like trying to play it off. You know, when you know somebody, but you can't remember their name. And I'm like, hey, how are you? And she said, good. And I said, uh, how was your summer? It's the end of the summer. So I'm asking, it's a normal question. How's your summer? And she goes, it's great. Let me tell you about the highlight. I went on a date with this guy. I thought it was great. He said he was going to call, but he never called. And immediately the light bulb goes off and is like, 
that's me, right? I'm the jackass. And I'm in very, very charismatic kind of way, not skipping a beat. I'm like, oh, what a jackass. Let me, let me, let me make up, let me make up for this guy and buy you a drink. And I think God always gives you second chances and second opportunities. Mm. You just have to be ready. You just have to open your eyes to see him. They're always there. But this was another shift moment. And these are these moments that people miss all the time, right? So this was a shift moment in my life. Now, I didn't know what shift meant back then. I didn't consciously have ideas of this because yeah. I was broken. Remember, this is still me broken, right? This was pre, pre-growth. And so she says yes. I don't know why, but she says yes. You can buy me a drink. And so we sit and we talk for a couple hours in the bar. And it was about 1130 that night. I get up to go either order a drink or, or, or go back, go to the bathroom, do something. And I turn around and I look at this beautiful woman. And it dawned on me. It dawned on me why the first date was so bad. In order to tell you why the date was so bad, let me tell you about my wife at that point, right? See, so she's young. She's, she's going to two different universities full-time for two different degrees. She's going to Villanova for her law degree. She's going to Drexel for her PhD Damn. at the same time. Right, same time. She's not into partying, not into drinking. She hardly goes to the bar. It just so happens that the two times she goes in the bar, she sees me. <laughs> she, she she lives in Philadelphia. She knows exactly what she's going to do and what she's going to be. She's going to, you know, do these uh, psychological evaluations with criminals. She like, and she's gorgeous, and she's way out of my league. So it was my the reason it was so bad. It was it was so bad because it was so self sabotaging because in my mind I still had that governor on that I simply wasn't enough. I couldn't compete at that level. So why even bother? And this was happening all behind the scenes. This is all the critic in the back of my mind, right? Well, I got up and I looked back and I realized, you know, people change for one of two reasons, either desperation or inspiration. Either they're so desperate and they can't take their life anymore and it's so miserable that they just give up, right? And they make a decide to make a change or they're inspired by something else. They're inspired by the idea of greatness. God seeps through to them and you break through and you're like, there is hope that I can lead a better life. And I'm worthy of a better life. At that very moment, I realized that I had a choice to make. And I remember very clearly. And I made a declaration at that very moment. And I didn't tell my wife this until 10 years, 15 years after our marriage, that I looked back and I said, I'm going to make, I, I'm going all in. I am, I am, I am not screwing this up. I am, I am, I am not screwing this up, right? I'm, I, I can, I can operate at this level. I can operate at this level, be with somebody like this. And I went back and uh, she was going back to school the following uh, week. I went up a week and a half later. I took her to, I drove to Philadelphia. I took her to dinner. I took her to dinner a second night that week. Three months later, I moved to Philadelphia and t- yesterday, we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary and our 21st wow. year of being together. And at that moment, she never told me up until this day, she's never once said, you should do this or you should do that. Like nobody can change us. But watching her inspired me to want to be better. Like watching her saying, man, I can operate this level. And then all of a sudden I, I cracked open the book and you know, there's a, there's a, there's an old story and we were in, um, we were in we were in Florence, my wife and I. And I heard this story about the statue of David, and we were what we were at the statue of the David, and this docent was telling the story. They said, you know, when when Michelangelo finished this sculpture, the whole city gathered around, and they did this huge unveiling, and the whole city was just like this thing was breathtaking and awe inspiring and amazing, and this little girl pulled his cloth and said, "How did you create something so beautiful out of a piece of rock?" 
And he looked at it and said, I didn't. It was there all along. I just chipped away the edges. Hmm. And what's happened was I started to realize that I was created that David. That's what my God did. My God created me as the David. But these negative stories had built up rock all along us. And since that very moment, I've just been trying to chip away the rock. And sometimes people help you chip away the rock, but most of the time we put the rock on ourselves. And so this, this, this challenge is now I just try to spend as much time chipping away my rock and I try to help others chip away their rock. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's talk about how you help others chip away at their rock. So you are, a. a you work in the corporate world, helping others with mindset. Um, you've had a lot of experience with sales and coaching. Um, you've had a lot of success yourself in sales. What does that look like? And and at what point did you decide I could make a business out of this and I could really make an impact? So tell me about that. Uh, so I was, I was, I, I had gotten a job in sales, um, when I was older, when I was 35, 36, I never sold anything before then. And um, I, I, again, I have an amazing wife and she has a great career. And so at the age of 35, 36, she, I went to her and said, I'm tired of managing hotels. I want to do something else. But what do you do when you don't have a college degree and you, you've only ever worked in hospitality? There's not really many doors open for you. And she said, man, find something you're passionate about and go do it. Again, amazing woman, right? And so... I went into sales. I never sold anything, but I was selling. I was selling new home construction, real estate, and the reason I did it was because I wanted to be part of somebody's life. It gave me significance that somebody was. I was going to help build a home for somebody that was going to be their first home or their retirement home, and they're going to raise their kids in. And that made my people heart dance. Faith, you know, like, people yeah. out of face. Yeah, like it's it, like think about like think about how much impact that is. Like you get to like it's just to me. I was there when my mother got her first home, and I know the impact. So I did really, really well, really well. And all the while I was going through a national corporate sales training program. And the owner of that company, after a couple of years, asked me if I wanted to come work for him. And I said yes. And I became a trainer. I never thought that I'd be a public speaker because I I don't fit the mold. I'm six foot eight. I'm 200 and, well, now 225 pounds. But Are you really it, six foot eight? Yes. No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. I am. Are you six, serious? I'm a big oh dude. Right? Six I'm foot eight, right? Dude. And and I have this deep, I have a very deep Barry White-ish voice with a New York accent. So I don't fit the mold of the public speaker. And so, although Tony Robbins is pretty big, but he doesn't have this yeah. like really deep voice. And so I, I said, okay. And all of a sudden I would go around and I'd start giving talks about sales and about, um, about training and leadership. But then people started asking me to do motivation talks and inspiration talks. And I couldn't understand it at first. I was like, why are people asking me? And because all I was doing was sharing my stories. I was just giving my stories and, you know, telling them what I did. And and all of a sudden that became. And so I said, maybe there's something here where I need to mix the corporate training in with the motivation and the mindset. And uh, three and a half years ago, I said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to try to. And maybe it's not different. Uh, because maybe there's a million companies that do it, but I said, I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to see what happens. And by the grace of God, it's, it's been, it's been really well received. What do you think is missing when people hire you? What are they hiring you to do? What I, I, is missing from 
Yeah. Why are, yeah. Why are we in so like there, it's such a confusing landscape of whether it's self-worth, whether it is the old school hustle culture, like we talked about before we recorded, you know, like there's an evolution of, of what sales looks like. Now there's a lot more empathy. There's a lot more storytelling, yeah. you know, what, what is missing from, from the landscape that you can fill? Um, I, I think, I think the, the well, two, two, so there's two answers there. So one, people hire me, I think because they want, they, 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 they want to see their results change. Right. I think that's a very clear. They, they either aren't getting the results they want and they want to see the results change. And I think people are so results driven and mm-hmm. focused. And I think it's screwing everything up. And, I, and I'm not saying results are important, but they hire me to, 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 to get better results. But I don't focus on results. Matter of fact, I say divorce the results. Like, don't worry about the results. Worry about the process. Divorce the results, marry the process. Divorce the results, marry the behavior. And for me, so the way that we change behavior is to change self-worth. And the idea of saying, I'm going to work with your salesperson, but I'm not going to talk about the results. I'm not going to talk about whether you sell 25 homes. I'm going to talk about how many lives you impact. I'm going to, I'm not going to talk about, you know, how many, you know, what the, what the, um, what your, your annual sales is. I'm not going to talk, like, I'm going to talk about, do you feel that one, that you're making a, a contribution? What's your, so this is the big thing. Most people are commission focused. I make them mission focused. And when you align their mission, when somebody's on a mission, the commission is always the result. Like you, you, the score will always take care of itself. If you're driven by the right things, most people just aren't driven by the right things. And it's because not because they don't know, it's because they haven't opened their, their mind to the possibility that there's more and that they were created for a life of abundance. And I don't mean abundance of stuff. I mean abundance of health, abundance of love, abundance of contribution, abundance of worth. Abund- like There is no God, I don't care what your faith is, that would create somebody to make you have a life of lack. You were created for a life of abundance. You just need that rock chiseled off. And once you do, the results always take We haven't lost a client in six years, not one. They renew every month. And I don't say that from a, to impress you. I say that to impress upon you. People will never leave you if you become part of their mission. And that's what we do. We help them figure out what their mission is. And then we jump on board and give them the support they need. You're so good at, um, at explaining things in a visual way that, mm-hmm people are able, like you, you're so good at these taglines and things. And I'm curious to how this manifested for you, because you have recently taken up some physical challenges. So I see your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts where you're up at five in the morning with your 16 year old daughters running around Washington, DC, going to monuments, having these really, really long runs, but you were not an athlete. You were not a runner. Where did this all begin? How did that manifest itself? No, yeah. No, listen again. It's I'm six foot eight, two hundred thirty pounds. It's like a tree moving down the street. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not graceful, right? It's like uh, King Kong. So King Kong. Uh, it is. It's like I was. I was supposed to run the Tokyo Marathon this year. It got canceled, and one of my friends begged me to wear a Godzilla costume. Can you imagine me running the Tokyo Marathon at six? Yeah, I would pay for that, bro. It's just crazy. <laughs> so. so I was given a speech. I was given a talk in Portugal four years ago. 
and I was talking about mindset. There's about a thousand people there. And I was talking about mindset. And I said some throwaway line that said, you know, if you have the right mindset, the right determination, you could do anything. Matter of fact, like if I wanted to run a marathon, to, I could go run a marathon. Uh, you just have to have the right mindset. And it was, and that, it, that was like a throwaway line. It wasn't really meant to be anything. But then I get on the plane to fly home. And again, the, you know, when, when you have these shift moments or when you have an epiphany, you ever have an epiphany where like things just seem to line up? Yeah. But for me, that epiphany is that's that is not the the exception. That is your best self trying to push out. Like that is your truest self. Everything else, your guard has been let down. Everything, hey, hey, I'm still in here, and you're still capable of so much more, right? And so for me, like I get on the plane and I have this epiphany, my best self coming out, and I'd never been an athlete, I'd never been a runner. And I said, I wonder if I could really do that. I wonder if I could really run a marathon. Now, I, I had never run more than 100. I could, I literally could not run 100 yards if a grizzly bear was chasing me. Like, I would die of a heart attack <laughs> right at that point. So I, I'm on the plane. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to run a marathon. And I have a, I have a, ever since that day I met my wife and I feel limitless, when I decide to do something, I'm doing it. And so I get online. I'm like, I'm going to run. If you're going to run a marathon, you're on the Boston Marathon. So I get online. I Google. I don't know anything else. I Google Boston Marathon. I realize you got to qualify. And there's no way I could qualify at that time. And then I'm like, all right, what else? I'm from New York. I run the New York City Marathon. Just so happened again, no accidents in life. Universe always conspiring to help you. I get on. And it, the lottery for the New York City Marathon is open on that day that I'm that like, like, it's, it's like, I think it's open for the three weeks and it just happened to be one of those days. So I register for the lottery, but to get in the lottery, there's a hundred thousand people that enter the lottery. They choose 10,000. So the chances are slim to none that I'm going to get in, but I enter the lottery. I shut my computer and, you know, go back to probably sleep or what I was doing on the plane. Don't think about it. Like two months later, I'm in Texas and I get an email from the New York city Roadrunners association that said, congratulations, you've won a chance to you've run the opportunity to run the New York city marathon, which is crazy. Cause I can't win a scratch off, but I could win a chance to run 26 <laughs> miles. Right? And I'll be honest, I'm the motivation inspiration guy. And I looked around, I was like, man, if I delete this right now, nobody's even the wiser. Right. And so, so I did worse. I posted on Facebook. I was like, I'm going to run the New York city marathon. Now it's, if it's on social media, it's got, oh, it. You yeah. got it. Right. Yes. And I, I, I was, this was in February. I think the race was in, in October and it was in November, October, October 3rd. And so I, I said, uh, so I did very little training. I think that whole year I'd run maybe 200 miles, 300 miles for, to train for it. I never ran a 5k, a 10k, a half. My first race I ever lined up for in my entire life was the New York city marathon. Oh my God. I run 26.2 miles. It takes me six, five hours and 58 minutes. And I felt like I was going to die at the end. Like I could not is that move. a long time. I'm not a runner. It's, it's, is that yeah, good or is no, that a long it's time? Horrible. It's it's. I'm saying uh, there are the the winner of the 80 year old bracket beat me by two hours and ten. Get minutes. out of here! Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I, 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 right. So so, um, but in doing it, which but I did it. I got the medal, and I did it a hundred percent for ego. I did it to tell people I ran the New York City Marathon. So I did the right thing, but for the wrong reason. And so the next year. That whole year I was training or talking about my brother, who's my best friend, uh, besides my wife, he's 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 watching me and he decides he's going to run the New York City Marathon next year. He enters the lottery. He gets in. I don't get in. So I pay money for charity because I don't want him to do it without me. 
I run it a second year. Don't do any training. And I run it in five hours and 45 minutes. Still a horrible time. Oprah still beat me by an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> like, so, so, and then, and then at the end, my, and one of my other buddies did it with us. And at the end of that race, I ran through the, I, rem- I remember this. I ran through the, the marathon finish line. I get the medal. My brother and my friend had beaten me by an hour. And I'm, I can't believe that I just squandered an app- opportunity. Like, I'm like, I can't, like, yeah, I got the medal. But I didn't push myself. I didn't train. I didn't do it for the right reasons. I did it again for ego. And so I'm standing there at the end of the New York City Marathon. I haven't run it two years in a row. I still had run no no other races. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not even eating my own dog food here. I'm living by ego and doing all the wrong reasons. And I make a declaration, shift moment. And I say, I'm going to do it a third time. And I'm going all in. I'm going all in. And so I, I, I dedicate myself to abundance of, of lim- like limitless potential. I train, I eat right, I lose 40 pounds. I run, wow. I, I run 1,200 miles that year training for it. And I take an hour and 30 minutes off my time. I then run, and my brother, I, I, I couple my brother's help with me. So my brother and I start running together. I run the Chicago Marathon. Then I ran the Berlin, Germany Marathon. And I run the New York Marathon. And we decide we're going to run the world major marathons. And now I run 200, and, you know, 200 to 225 miles a month. And, my, and I have a whole group. I, I'm saying I'm in the best shape of my life. So the thing is here's the thing it's like we want to do the right things but sometimes you can do the right things but do for the wrong reasons and it still produces the wrong results but that that standing on that finish line of the and and i'll tell you the craziest thing the third the 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 third year when i ran the new york city marathon i crossed the finish line i'd run it in the fastest time i'd ever run a marathon i'd taken two hours off my original time when i ran it two years earlier and when I ran through this, the, the finish line, I was the least emotional of any of the three. And I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't about the result anymore. I had so emotionally unattached myself from the result and fallen in love with the behavior. And what happened over that year of training, I had fallen in love with the person that I saw in the mirror. It was for the first time in my life. And I'm not talking physically, right? I'm, 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 no, it's the it, discipline. It was just who I had become yeah. and who I was becoming. That it didn't matter what happened at the finish line. I loved who I saw and who I had become. And so crossing the finish line didn't mean anything because it wasn't about the token or the result. It was about the process and the behavior of this journey of just becoming better. And ever since then, I refused to take my foot off the gas to become just a better version of myself. And that that's self-aware too. You know, it's not, it's not every day that people kind of understand that. I think a lot of us move through life in a very, you know, honest, honestly, and uh, oblivious way, you know, like yeah. not, not that, um, they want to be oblivious or they're dumb. It's just, uh, it's, yeah. it's hard to take those looks at yourself and, and you've got a podcast where what I, what I think is incredible about you is that you just go for it. Like there is no ceiling. Like you said, you take the lid off and you have interviewed Jesse Itzler. You've interviewed Gary V. You've interviewed Claude Silver, Jordan Harbinger, these amazing 
uh, people that have have made their mark in in various ways and are really well known and have done incredible things. What have you learned? What are some of the takeaways that you've learned from some of these great giants that uh, you've had the pleasure of having on in your show? Yeah, I'll tell you the biggest takeaway. I can give you three, but I'll give you the biggest one right up front, right? That all of those people that I interviewed, they are no better than me. And here's what I mean. And I don't mean that in an ego way, right? So ego stands for edging God out. It's not about God. It's about me. That's true ego, right? But understanding that for the, for the most time, you know, we put, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge, just like you, huge Jesse Isla fan. I, mean, I think I think the guy is, uh, and I've studied all of them. I've met all of them. I met Tony Robbins, everybody. Jesse Isler is by far to me one of the best thought leaders out there, right? But the guy is no better than me. Now, I am no better than him. He is no better than me. We're both on a mission, right? And for the longest time, I put these people on a pedestal, which made them, which made me less than. Yes. And and I'm not less than, I'm just different. Like my pedestal matters just as much as Jesse's pedestal matters, just a different pedestal. And I realized that I went to Jesse's house. The first time I went to Jesse's house, right? Jesse lives in this enormous, beautiful home in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Sarah. And I walk into the house and I, I walk in and their home is beautiful. But it's just a home, right? And and there's there's pictures of Sarah and Jesse and their kids on the refrigerator. There's clutter on the on the on the countertop. Just like your home. Just yeah. like my home, right? I I, I I go down, I meet with Jesse, we do a podcast interview, we hang out for the day, I come back upstairs, Sarah's sitting at the island. I think she was eating a bowl of ice cream or some cheeses or something like a normal person does, right? But in my mind, I had created this person on this pedestal that somehow was unattainable for me like this like i was honored to speak with them i was honored to be but we're both just on a mission and when i realized when i had this moment in in standing in jesse's house i was like why 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 do I why do I limit myself by putting others on this pedestal? So from that point on, when I started talking to them, I wasn't talking to them in reverence of what they did. Like I don't believe you should ever be in awe of any human being that walks this earth because they're just as fallible as you. They're just as just as good as you. There's no better, no worse, right? We're all just the same. We're all created the same. It's just what you've done with your gifts. And so now I go into these interviews and I feel we're on level playing field. Like I'm not, so it makes the conversation much better. Like I have just as much to contribute as Jesse. It's just different. I have just as much to contribute as you. You have just as much to contribute as me. There's no better. I had a conversation. It was with my sister and she has the feeling that celebrities shouldn't talk about politics. Um, (laughs) However, I do think that everyone has a platform. So if I'm if I'm thinking about Cardi B talking mm-hmm. about Bernie Sanders, you know, I think in this culture because Instagram influencers, celebrities, that is how culture changes. Mm-hmm. Is how is is through the this medium whether it is pretty yep. pictures or whether it is a quote or something. And I think what you're saying is really important to remind ourselves because we put so much in into people who have 
a really large following or some type of metric of success that may not be indicative, you know, like they call micro influencers and then there's influencers and celebrities and people who have really big (laughs) followings. But I also think that because of the internet, we all have a microphone and we all have a platform now. And I think what you're saying, if I'm understanding this correctly, is how to use your microphone in a way to elevate yeah. Your voice without making you smaller, yeah. making, yeah. I think it's powerful. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that's, listen, so I don't want to open the conversation about, uh, about the, you know, what people do politically, but somebody like somebody telling LeBron James to shut up and dribble to me is just infuriating, right? Why doesn't he have the right to voice his opinion? Just like I do. Nobody, nobody tells me, nobody, I say, Hey, this is what I believe in politics. Nobody, I'm, nobody's going to call me and say, shut up and deliver keynotes, right? I'm saying it, it, we don't do that. So they just have, just because they have a bigger platform, yes, they have a wider influence, they have a wider reach, but they are a human being just like I, and they have the right to say what they want, what they believe, when they believe it, as long as it doesn't damage, as long as it doesn't put somebody else in harm's way, right? So that's, we have all have that freedom. The challenge is, is that we what we want is we want to take, celebrities and we want to say well i only care about you because you the way you dribble basketball the way you sing a song so just give me that and shut up about everything else right but but if but if i went to some plumber and i said hey i don't care just plumb don't don't, like who would do that we don't do that we only do it for people that have a bigger platform and that's because somehow we put them on a pedestal yeah me there there i've met i've met three u.s presidents i've met uh, some of the greatest athletes, Michael Jordan. I've met Tiger Woods. I've met the Venus sisters. I've met some amazing celebrities. And for the longest time, I thought somehow they were created better than me. And the reason why I think that, I thought that, I don't anymore, is because it gave me justification of saying, well, that's unattainable. And it and it gave me an out. Mm. Well, the, well, the challenge is, is when you realize I am just as capable as Jesse Esler, I am just as capable as Gary Vee, I'm just as capable as any other human being in this world. Well, now it's up to me. Like, there's no out. I don't have an excuse. I don't have an alibi. Now, doesn't mean I have to achieve what Jesse Esler has or what, but, but, but don't tell me things are, are somehow, um, not possible for me because I wasn't created that way. You can't have faith. You can't have faith in God and believe that he somehow created Jesse Isler better than me. And here's the challenge though. And here's the biggest problem. And and I'll say this to Jesse. I'd say this to anybody else. If you judge your success and you judge how you treat others by the amount of influences you have or, or people you influence, right? So Jesse Isler has 1 million followers and this, and I have a thousand followers, right? So if, because I get a million followers, somehow I now can treat people differently. I can, then that's where all of a sudden to me, you've gone astray. That's true either, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. for me, that's why that's one of the reasons I love Jesse because the guy's got a million followers. He's still authentic. Now, if, if next week or two weeks, he stops taking my call and he stops, starts being arrogant, then I'll, he'll jump the shark for me. And I'll say, not, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be around that. Right. And I'll separate myself. But as long as people 
treat people on the same level with no awe of anybody. It's, to me, it just be amazing to me. If, if people were in awe of themselves as much as they are of others, it would be if everybody's life would be completely different. Say that again. If That's people, powerful. If people were in awe of themselves as much as they are in awe of other human beings, their world would forever be changed. I'm trying. Chad, you need to write a book on that. <laughs> but, I'm proclaiming uh, it for you. But isn't that true? Like I, I have twin daughters, and my my whole my whole uh, my, my whole um, mission my whole mission with them is to get them to understand that they are strong, powerful, beautiful, amazing women, children of God that can accomplish anything as long as. They believe they are worthy of it, and they can. They they won't believe they're worthy of it if they put everybody else up on a pedestal. And I think that's the biggest problem. Doesn't mean I don't respect Jesse or respect. I have a ton of respect for what they've done and how hard they work and the thing. And I want to learn from them, and I want to. I want to. I want to absorb as much as they have. But I'll be damned if I'm going to put them in a class that's better than me. And that's not ego. That's not ego. Yeah, I get it. And it's also swimming in your own lane too. Right. What do you know that you wish other people could know? Mm. Mm. I, I think um, what I know to be true um, that I wish, um, I'll just talk, I'll literally, I can't say it because I'll start crying, but um, I'll talk about my daughters. And I wish they just knew that they were created for a life of abundance and that they're worthy of amazing things. Because you don't get in life what you want. You get what you believe you're worthy of. And if they if they knew they were worthy of love and joy and respect and, and great things and abundance, then they wouldn't tolerate anything less than that. But they tolerate less than that because they believe that's what they're worthy of. So for me, I know what I'm worthy of. I know what I'm worthy of, and I refuse to get less than that. And it's again, I know somebody listening to this, and you have an amazing podcast and amazing listeners. I'm sure they're thinking, "Man, this guy is full of himself." I don't mean to come across that way. It's not ego and self. It's trusting God to say that God created me for this way. And so, so that's what that's what I wish. I wish for my daughters. I wish for everybody because once you see you see it, you see people. You're like that person knows what they want. No. That person knows what they're worthy of. I completely get that. And and I also am, am somebody who's always had a healthy dose of confidence, maybe even too much, you know, in a way. So I don't, um, I, I embrace confidence, especially in that way, especially when you are a force for good. Yeah. You know, how do you further, sorry, yeah. how do you, I had it on, uh, okay. Um, how do you be a force for good? So I love what you're saying. I think it's powerful too. I think it's powerful because what I'm hearing from this conversation is, is that you are always destined for greater, but if you invest in your discipline, in the process, in honoring the life that God gave you, the life, the body, the mind, whatever it is, mm -hmm. that your high, higher power is given to you mm -hmm. and you trust it by putting in processes, systems, discipline, yeah. then, and, you know, I'd like to add in joy of always inviting joy in. Oh, yeah. Always inviting joy. Always gratitude. I'm always grateful. For me, it's, uh, is you know, gratitude is, is, you know, obviously gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions, but, you know, it's not that I, 
it's not that I live like this, like rainbows and unicorn and Skittles kind of life. It's that I understand that I have the ability 100% of the time to determine my destination. I just have to, and I didn't for a long time, but if you, if you, if you, once you realize you have it and once you realize you're capable of it, I think true suffering for me, and I want to make sure I say this right because I haven't said it before, but true suffering for me is knowing what you're capable of, what you're worthy of, knowing it, consciously knowing it and settling for less. That's the suffering. Because if you're, if you're blissfully unaware, like you said earlier, and I had a conversation this weekend with a good friend of mine, and I'm, and I'm getting ready to do this, this. I'm going to do this crazy running challenge in the beginning of the year. I'm still working out, so I can't say what it is, but this crazy challenge in the beginning of the year. And I was talking to her about it, and she said, why would you? I don't understand why you would do that. Why do you run so much? Why do you get up and like, do all these marathons and run all these miles? And, and I said, you know why? I said, because I know how I am. And I said, and it's not, and it's for me, I have to continue to push myself outside my comfort zone. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not a, because if, if I didn't know that I was capable of more, I would be very content. And I think most people live in this life. They say, I'm really happy. And there's a big, there's a big, I think, misconception between happy and, and, and ignorant. And let me explain what I mean to that. You think you're happy, but how do you really know because you haven't aspired to get you're ignorant about what's actually possible and so for me like i know what i'm capable of and i refuse to live in this state of suffering so i'm going to keep pushing to try to get to this level and for me i think that's where most people live most people think i'm really happy but how do they know there's not another level of happiness how do they know there's not another level of contribution or 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 joy or like to me and so i'm just searching for that elusive finish line and I haven't gotten to it yet. And I hope I never do. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's always that way. And, and nobody, you know, nobody is a kid who says, I, I can't wait to grow up and be mediocre. You know, <laughs> I think we lose that. I think we lose that somewhere mm. of, of, um, yeah. of what it should like look like. And I think part of my mission interviewing culture changers is how do we break out of those, the programming and the mold of that old uh, way of just hierarchical um, kind of thinking and and be able to create something even better, something that was destined for you, yeah. but you have to step into it. Yeah. So what's next for you, Chad? What's next? Um, well, listen, I, obviously, I told you I was looking for the finish line. I think I just got it. I got it on your podcast. I'm saying that's pretty damn good. Oh I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it gets much better than this. Um, uh, you know, I don't even do, I, I don't even know. I bet I've only done in my life, I bet I've only done five podcast interviews, maybe, maybe five. Is that I right? Know. Yeah. I don't, I've never asked to be on a podcast. Um, Nobody's ever I'm saying you called me. I think you called me by accident, but I said yes. Um, <laughs> so, 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 uh, you know, I think for me, um, I'm going to have a book come out at the beginning of the year, which is crazy. Like the even, I don't know yet. Um, it, well, I know, but I, I don't, it's not been confirmed yet. So, uh, I'm going to have a book come out at the beginning of the year, which, I, I can't even like put into words the the immense sense of gratitude I have for that from somebody that just you know was horrible in school and 
And that, and listen, the, the idea that somehow I live in a universe where people pay to hear me speak and that I can write a book, like, like what more proof does somebody need that they, like all things are possible? So that's, that's a big, that's going to be another big shift moment in my life. Um, I'm going to continue to try to contribute. And, and I believe that when I leave this earth, I'll be remembered for what did I contribute? That's it. Who did I become and what did I contribute? And so I'm just trying to find ways as, as hokey as it sounds, you know, I, I, I want to say it's all for like the idea of contributing for the sake of contributing, but it's part of that mission of, of really loving who I see in the mirror. And when I contribute to the betterment of somebody else and I see that I have an impact, whether, whether, whether it be a small impact or a big impact, it makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel good about my lot in this life and where I am and, and that I'm going to be greeted at the gates of heaven. And, and I think that, uh, I'm, I, I'm going to keep chasing that. So anytime I get the chance to contribute in any way, shape or form, it's, it's, that's the mission I'm on. And I'm, and I tell people the hell with the mission statement actually be on a mission. And I am on a mission to contribute to the betterment of others. Well, I think you are doing a hell of a job. And the reason why I know that is because when I see your post, when I see what you're doing, I cannot help but smile. I cannot help but feel moved and grateful that I'm connected to you because your enthusiasm, the way you uh, live your life is contagious. Mm. And I think it's one thing to talk about what you should do, but when you live by example, especially for your beautiful twin daughters mm. who you have mm. invited them into your mission and their journey is with you. And even your car karaoke things, which are so <laughs> freaking funny. <laughs> you guys um, do that. You've got a really good thing going and you mm. are a culture changer. And I am mm. honored that you're on my podcast. I'm excited to see what you do next. And uh, happy to support you any way I can. So yeah. thank you. Sometimes you, you, you meet people and you're like, well, you know, that's going to be a relationship that's going to last a little while. Or, you know, I can't like, there's no reason, there's no doubt in my mind that you were uh, entered into my life or mine into yours or ours into each other. It's one of those things that you know was going to last for a while, right? Because virtual hug. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we're not video recording this because I'm going to, I would start crying, but I, I'm extremely grateful for um, the opportunity even just to have, have, have a relationship with you and, and to be on your show. We're going to do great things. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Only, great right things. Things. Yes. Only great things. Only great things. We're going to do things. good things. We'll do it together. Agreed. Well, thanks so yeah. much, Dad. Awesome. Thanks. So one last note about Chad, you've got to follow him on Instagram. He is on a mission like I have never seen before and is so inspiring to watch on IG and IG stories. I just love him and I hope you do too. And if you've got an executive team, I would highly recommend working with him to help transform your business. What a great guy. I've linked his info in the show notes. And as for me, I've loved having you join me for this chat. I hope you'll subscribe to the Culture Dangerous podcast so you never miss any of these perspective shifting episodes. Find me on the socials, tell all your friends, and I'll see you next week.